I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Matt Lambourne. Good evening, gentlemen. As there might be ladies listening, Matt. Yeah, but we're gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) But but, but you're talking to the listeners. Oh, okay. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And I do hope there's some ladies out there, because I would never have thought Oh, yeah. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Just dig deeper, Matt. Keep going. Yeah. My spade is broad. Good start to the podcast, Matt. Let's carry it on. Yes. Uh, this, this week we've got a, a rather sparse podcast because nothing's happened and nothing good's come out in the cinema. Everyone is still scared of Age of Ultron. Yeah, well, it's a, there's a film we're going to talk about later, Spooks the Greater Good, which is catching it up in the UK, which is fantastic news. But yeah, it's still absolutely dominating the box office everywhere. I don't think it's out in China yet or it comes out like this weekend. We, it's just going to be one of the highest grossing films ever. Until Star Wars. Oh, yes. Until Star Wars. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Until Star Wars. Star Wars will be everything, I promise you. And I'm not saying that because I like Star Wars. It will. That will just dominate every box office record going. Yeah, I believe you. Anyway, we're on to the quiz already where I am losing 2-1. Owen could make me watch another rubbish film if he wins this week. Uh, or if Matt wins on his behalf. If Matt wins on my behalf, yeah, it's who's gonna gonna guess this quickest because um, there's quite a lot of films to choose from, but they're all kind of not very good. But that that might be a clue actually. All the films I'm gonna pick, they're not great films. But I'll start with um, in 2001, they were in Swordfish. Matt. Matt, yeah. Don Cheadle. It's not Don Cheadle. Steve. Yeah. Halle Berry. It's not Halle Berry. No. Now, the next one <laughs> is in 2000, the year 2000, the year before Swordfish, they were in Gone in 60 Seconds. Steve. Yeah. It's Vinnie Jones. It's Vinnie Jones. Blimey. That was quick. I just knew Damn. he was in both. He doesn't speak in Gone in 60 Seconds, does he, until the end? No. That's right. Has no lines until the end. There's, there's two films like that. There's um, what's that fucking uh, Midnight Meat Train? Yeah, he's completely silent in that as well. Probably best. So, Probably for the best. Probably for the best. Yeah. yeah, especially when he tries accents and stuff like X Men Three. Yeah. But uh, no, that was quick. So it's a it's a, a tie. 
So you've got another week postponed before you have to watch whatever I make you watch. Or I could be making you watch something next week. That's very confident. Yes, and the quiz is undergoing a, a change in format, I believe. I think once we finish this, so whether you win or the guest wins next week, we will sort of revamp the format because we've used this for like Ever. however many episodes now. Yeah, it must have been sort of 50, 60 episodes we've been doing this yeah. for. So we'll have a rethink and reformat and try something new, I think. Exactly. We could do it Jeopardy style. We could. I was thinking about like on the when we did the um uh the hundred and fiftieth episode, finding quotes from old reviews that we've done, particularly Steve's, because they're just so you'll never guess them. You just have to take a punt, you know. But we'll see. Yes, we'll uh we'll we'll be revamping the quiz. Anyway, onto the news already and not really irrelevant to to the film industry but certainly relevant to us we have moved to a different website who hosts the podcast uh, we've moved to Acast Owen will explain it all as he's dealt with it excellently it, oh thank you very much I'll take that praise um, yeah so the changes that people might notice with our podcast since we've moved to Acast most of them positive I hope. One of them is that now, if you listen to the podcast through the Acast website, acast.com forward slash failed critics, or use the Acast app on Android or um, or on iPhone, you'll see it's more interactive now. We can actually add links to the films that we talk about, so we can put links to IMDb pages. Uh, if we've written an article or re- a review or whatever we might have on our own website, there'll be a link through to that. We can add comments, so if we forget to say something, you might see it flash up on screen. Uh, And clips to films and stuff like that. So, yeah, hopefully it will make it a kind of more interactive experience for people. But I think we do need to put a warning out there. From now on, you might hear an occasional short advert within the podcast. And we've held off for as long as possible. I think 165 podcasts we've published. This is the 166th podcast, including our our Avengers minisodes, that we've made. And all of them have been advert-free, you know, because we paid for it out of our own pocket. First James paid for it, then sort of I paid for it, and... We've we've gone for as long as we could, and I think now the any any form of ad revenue we get that can support the site means we can continue to do it. it means we can carry on doing the podcast for maybe another hundred and sixty five episodes. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, not all of them five hours long, but no, quite. Uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, it means I think there's there's good news to to the ads. Hopefully, they're not going to be intrusive. It won't be on every single podcast you listen to, and that's it really. So there's slight change to to the way we host. But ultimately, if you get this podcast through the website, if you get it through an RSS feed, through a podcast app, through iTunes, there'll be no difference to you. So you haven't got to worry. It's just all behind the scenes scenes kind of changes. But I do recommend visiting the Acast website. It's, it's Actually, it's fantastic for, for listening to podcasts. Some of the things people do with it, sort of Scroobius Pip and Football Ramble are on there um, and do fantastic things through the Acast website. So I highly recommend it. Excellent. We could have made a what? fortune if we'd done it on the uh, the five hour podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it could have gone in. Uh, oh man, yeah, that relies on people listening to it all the way through. 
Well, I'm not sure how many people did. I'm sure someone hasn't got a life. <laughs> well, we didn't. We spent six hours recording it till four in the morning. Yeah, let's conveniently yeah. overlook that, shall we? <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. in other news, Owen, what has happened? Oh, yeah, because we've also expanded to YouTube as well, now. Yes, we're, we're now in a visual medium, even though we don't have a visual medium. A visual medium with a static JPEG in the middle of it um, through YouTube. We're going to have to think of ways that we can sort of maximise our use through YouTube. At the minute, we I'm, are... I'm just going to film Callum on a day to the cinema, on a little trip out, <laughs> and just walk behind him with a GoPro for the whole thing, filming it. <laughs> uh, you get getting kicked out of the cinema for that. That wouldn't be nice. Yeah, I didn't really think that through. I can't sit in the cinema with a GoPro. <laughs> Otherwise, there, it's just you stalking him to the cinema and waiting outside whilst he watches a film and then stalking him on his way out again. Let's face it, I've got nothing better to do. I've got no internet at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we might not do that. What we might do, or what we have done so far, um, is we've dug through some of our older episodes and we're trying to find clips and reviews and... Any news pieces that people thought might have been interesting to to put up there? Sort of anything that's about five minutes long, five to ten minutes. Um, so, like, in the minute, we've got Jerry's review of Alien, which he chose as one of his favourite films of the 1970s from the fifth ever episode that we recorded. So that's going to go... That's up there at the moment. You can go and listen to that. That's about sort of three or four minutes long, I think. Um, we've had a couple of suggestions from people. I think, Matt, you even suggested one, which was... Uh, uh, rant about the rating, the 12A rating of Taken 2. Yeah, that was um, a highlight for sure. So we're going to dig stuff out like that and pull it up there. Talking about the 150th episode earlier, we're going to try and dig out um, Brooker's review of Mobius as well to put on there. <laughs> I think we, I think we're going to start trying to put on the actual podcast onto YouTube as well, aren't we? Eventually. We will see. I think at the minute, Acast does more than I thought it would. Yeah. So it, it probably there's probably no point in replicating it through YouTube, but yeah. we will put clips up on on YouTube and we'll try and find something to do with it. And, and again, all I want from people, from listeners, is suggestions. If you've got a favourite thing from an old podcast, um, a favourite clip or review, or like I said, at any time we've talked about a news article or you know a a blunder that we've made that made you laugh, anything, just send it into us, tweet us at. Failed critics. The time, uh, the time Owen went full retard. Yeah. <clears throat> Some of these clips. Yeah, now that particular line was um, ruined by terrible sound quality. Yeah, I'm oh. sure it was. <laughs> yeah, but maybe not that particular line. But <laughs> any, yeah, anything though. Really, people can just tweet us or um, email failedcritics at gmail.com and we'll um, we'll stick it up on the on the YouTube channel. Okay, and. One final bit of news, I believe, as well. Yeah, just very quickly, we've got a new guest writer for the site, Nicholas Lay, who um, from Laid Bear Media has written a new article for, or article for the website. Um, he inducted the um, dish and dishonest, dishonesty episode of Blackadder, the first episode of series three, to our hundred greatest TV episodes series, which is a really good, funny write-up and compares it with the recent general election results it's all about the general election that episode so uh very funny episode i'm glad someone's finally put black adder into a 100 greatest tv episode series and yeah he'll be writing a few more things for us and, and we might be collaborating on 
some joint ventures with him as well. So he might even come on the podcast. He live, the problem is he lives in Canada, so it's trying to find a time where he can appear on the podcast with us that's not like three in the morning for him or ridiculous in the night for us either. So, but we will, we'll, we'll try. Um, and yeah, just look out for stuff on the website from, from is, Nicholas. Is, is he Canadian or is he just no. living in Canada? He lives in Canada, but he's an expat. He's a Brit. So I'm not going to try and stifle a laugh every time he says about then. <laughs> you won't need to, unless he's like adopted the accent. A boot. It's possible. A. a. Yeah. I'd, I'd just, uh, if he was, I'd just make him review films that had about in the title, like something, there's something about Mary. A boot time. Yeah. Yeah. A. Just, um, feel, no. just be really petty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't do that. I'm sure he. I'm sure he speaks the Queen's English. That's, uh, that's a prerequisite for being on this podcast, <laughs> isn't it? Obviously, because of you, me, and Matt, we all do. Yeah, clearly. Yes. No regional accents on this podcast. Um, but no. So uh, yeah, Nicholas will be writing some more stuff for us on the website. Possibly appear on the podcast. Mm. Talking talking of accents and our regional accents, Matt is the Isle of Man part of the UK? As we talk about the Queen's English, <laughs> is it one of these crown <laughs> dependency things like Jersey? No, the Isle of Man's not part of the UK, but it's not a crown dependency either. But it does rely on the UK or the Queen for its defence, and it recognises the Queen as head of state or something or other. I, I yeah. bet that takes up a fair whack of our, our budget, doesn't it? The Isle of Man's defence. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where the deficit is. I'm going to move Triton to the Isle of Man. That's yeah. the, the plan with so Scotland. Did, so did you get to vote or not? Yes. Not not because I'm, because I'm not Manx. I'm from Stoke, for God's sake, so I can still vote. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm... I just have to do it by post. They should do a text vote. More people would vote if there's a text vote. Yeah, they should do an app yeah, that, like uh, it, Britain's Got Talent or something. Yeah. They, it was quite in, it, popular in the news before the election saying, why can't we have an app? And there is like, I don't understand why we can't have an app. Yeah, you put your, your number in and do your vote. It's the same. Exactly. It's the same as just turning up to a polling station and saying, I am so-and-so. Here's my address. Let me vote. I am Spartacus. Everyone should turn up and just say I'm that. I am Spartacus. I don't think they'd let you in. Unless your name was Spartacus. I suppose <laughs> yeah. you could actually be called Spartacus. Maybe your surname would be Spartacus and, yeah. and your first name is I am. What's your name? I am Spartacus. Aren't there rules against stuff like that? Don't they ban people from giving kids stupid names like I don't know. Because there's some people who have names that are like the full name of the 1999 Manchester United travel winning squad and someone's going to name my kid after all the players. Uh, yeah. But Teddy, Ollie, know. Andy, Dwight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think there are rules against that. I don't think you could call your kid I am if your last name is Spartacus. I'm sure there would be some, like, blockages. Whose last the... name is Spartacus? You could, him, you could call him Ian Spartacus, and it kind of looks like <laughs> Ian Spartacus. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll have a quick break there, and we'll be back with something new for everyone after the break. I am Spartacus. In part two of this week's Fail Critics podcast, we're trying something new, mainly because of the severe lack of content we were having <laughs> this week. Um, so we decided to put it out to you guys to 
ask us some questions and we will give you our answers. Owen has those questions for us. I do, yeah. This, this is this is very much the opposite of um, James Lipton at the end of Inside the Actor Studio. <laughs> what happens at the end of that? I can't. He I he, seen... he has a set of questions that he asks to every single guest that he has on. I think he does it at the end. He might do it at the start. I can't remember. Um, oh, okay. But it's just a set list of questions that he asks to every single one of them. Um, so I imagine this will be the very opposite of that. Yeah, because hopefully we can turn this into either a regular or semi-regular thing where we just get questions from people and we'll pose them to whoever happens to be on the podcast with us at that time. As well as us, we'll answer them as well. I think it'd be quite fun. We've got a couple of people who've never been on the podcast before who've sent in questions this week and a couple of people who have. Firstly, Jerry McCauley sent us a question in. Never heard of him. Oh, who's that? Oh, I don't know. But... um. He sent us, well, it was kind of directed to me, but we can turn this into a general answer, I think. So his question was, what would Owen do with his time if he didn't watch 847 films a week? Uh, First of all, I don't watch 847 films a week. I maybe watch 10 at most, really, which is that a lot, though? I mean, how many films do you guys watch? It's more than one a day. I don't think even on my best film watching week, I would watch the equivalent of one a day. Really? Never? I'm not saying never. I mean, because I mean, I, I don't know. I started watching lots of films when my wife was working on Sundays and it meant that around the football, which I used to when I used to have Sky Sports back then, I used to watch a film in the morning. I watched football, take my dogs for a walk, come back and watch another film. That's how I ended up watching like quite a lot of films, and that's where it, the whole sort of obsessions sort of started with me. But, but any, I mean, but anyway, you're not answering the question. I'm not answering the question. You're doing what a very I... good politician move there. Uh, Deflection. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. What would you do, Jerry, if you uh, didn't? Anyway, so what would I do with my time if I didn't watch films? I don't really know. Probably just Re- redu- the... reduce the deficit. I wouldn't. I'd just be addicted to FIFA again, probably. Just end up playing <laughs> FIFA well, all the time. I've got a podcast for that. <laughs> Have you got a podcast on that, Matt? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll I'd, al- I'd also probably be podcasting quite a lot. You because could do a FIFA podcast. I do, I'd, I'd probably... I quite enjoy podcasting. I'm f- I'd find something to podcast about. It's one of those realisations I've had, is that actually, I quite enjoy it. I like it. So I would I would probably do more of that. But what's your podcast that you do then, Matt? Oh, I've been doing one for a few weeks with one of my pals called Footstock, which is about the sub-mode of FIFA called Ultimate Team. I don't know if you're familiar with, but we sort of mm-hmm. go into detail about uh, the market or the transfer market within that game and, and how to trade to make money both in-game and in real life from it. So it's quite complex. And sometimes... Not as exciting as it may or may not sound, but for the most part, it's pretty good fun. So, do you actually make a profit from that, from FIFA Ultimate Team? I could do, if if I put the effort into it. But then I sort of realised if I was going to put that amount of effort into trading an e-currency within a video game, I might as well trade the stock market instead. (laughs) How many hours do you have to put in to make like a salary from it, a livable, ridiculous amount? I couldn't even be bothered to trade enough to buy bloody Eden Hazard, so 
<laughs> yes, Steve used to ask me for a lot of tips, and I don't and... think he was able to find the time required. <laughs> I just couldn't bit... be. I just I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah, until recently, you could do it via an app on your phone, um, yeah. but they shut that down because of the amount of fraud uh, that's going through the app. Wow. But I used to do it at work, so I just potter about on it once an hour for a couple of minutes, and that was job done. So you just have to do that rinse and repeat. It's not about spending one large amount of time doing it. It's lots of little bits throughout the day. But um, now it's, it's, it's too difficult. You know, you'd, you'd have to be living in a country whereby a couple of quid means a lot to you to make it worth your while. So, yeah, I suppose they get a lot of kids doing it though, just earn a bit of money from. Is that, yeah, or is it too complex for that? Really, I guess. No, no, no. It's, it's not complex at all. It just requires a lot of effort. Yeah. But in, in answer to sort of Jerry's question, how many films do you really watch a week, then, Matt? Sometimes I don't watch say? any. Because I'm I'm so busy with podcasts and with work, uh, I watch more TV than movies at the moment. If I'm honest, because TV's really catching up on the whole uh, home entertainment medium. It's much bigger and more prolific than movies are these days. Um, but I'm quite seasonal in my movie watching. I'll probably watch a lot of movies over Christmas, and then I like watching stuff at Halloween when it's you know, horror themed and whatnot. Mm. Mm. Um, so I sort of come and go sometimes I'll watch maybe a couple a day and then go a day without watching one so get through a few a week and then other weeks like probably at the moment I'm not watching many at all yeah okay interesting and Steve you you must watch it sort of two a week I guess I'd say on average between two and two and five depending on what I'm doing who I'm with how many times I go to the cinema there's been a lot of TV at the moment as well though but yeah I'd say between two and five a week Okay, because I try to watch at least one a day, and that's not always possible. But I think I can't remember how many I watched last year. It was it ended up being something like six hundred films in a year. Yeah. Which see, no, I don't because I like talk to other people who do this, people who do it for a living, and you know, reviewing films and stuff. And I know I don't think I watch a lot. I think I watch a reasonable amount for someone who does it as a hobby. But I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely not 800 films a week, anyway. To you were way, way above average, let's just say that. Anyway, question, question, anyway, question two. Question two. <laughs> question two is from someone who actually followed us this week. So thank you for following us, Robert Cop, which is a great name. He's actually got the image. Because you, you know Robocop and the knockoff toys. Yeah. Bob. And there's a Robert Cop. Bob yeah, Cop. that. Robert Cop. Bob Cop. <laughs> Uh, Robert underscore cop on Twitter. He said, okay, given the Mad Max reviews, which are actually quite positive, I'll just put that in there, and been very um, high in the praise, he says, what film has been the most pleasant surprise, i.e. expected uh, awful, turned out great? So, uh, Steve, why don't you tell us which which film you've expected to be awful and has turned out good? Well, I thought way back when, when James made us go and watch the new version of Les Miserables. Oh, yeah. I thought thought I would absolutely hate it, and I didn't. I quite liked it. Yeah, because it was actually really really popular. It was. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's not going to make any any lists of anything for me, but it was was good. Um, I thought I'd absolutely hate Russell Crowe singing for to earn a bit hours of my life <laughs> yeah no it was, it was good I mean James absolutely loved it didn't he 
But, um, yeah, so, okay, Matt, have you got one off the top of your head? Yeah, um, it's probably a little bit old now in the whole failed critics scheme of things, but one of the most pleasant surprises I had at the cinema in recent years, uh, I used to have a habit when I lived in London, I used to go to the cinema every Friday night because that was pretty much the only thing I could afford to do. So I'd go and watch almost anything that was on. And I went to go and see uh, the recent reboot of Star Trek, not the sequel, but the first one. And not being a fan of the original series of Star Trek or Next Generation or anything like that whatsoever, I went in with very low expectations and thoroughly enjoyed the movie. And it's a shame that the the follow-up wasn't quite up to standard, uh, but that, that first movie from the rebooted franchise was was absolutely fantastic and i came out the cinema absolutely buzzing i was thoroughly entertained so that's probably the the best example from the last few years oh yeah so you both picked quite recent ones then what about what about you then owen well um a film i came to quite recently but it's an older film was uh last year towards the end of the year i sort of had this I ended up watching a ton of films by a guy called Roger Corman, who makes B-movies. And I had this film on DVD. I didn't realise I had it. It was one of those that's in a collection of three movies uh, called A Bucket of Blood from 1959 with Dick Miller in it. And I just thought it would be absolutely awful. It sounded awful. It looked awful on the cover of this this, this multi-pack of DVDs. Um, but I... Gave it a go anyway, lowered my expectations, and I thought it was a really, a really good film. Like, not just good B-movie good, but it was really funny, well-written, quite clever. And yeah, it just got me hooked on, on more Roger Corman movies. So it was one I expected to be trash, one I expected to be horribly dated, but was actually really enjoyable. It was one of my favourite new discoveries of last year. It was It was fantastic, so... Yeah, so I hope I hope that answers your your question, Mister Cop, um, Bob Cop. Okay, next one. So the next one is from um, someone who we're all familiar with. He's been on the podcast quite a few times now. Uh, it's from Andrew Brooker uh, at Brooker four one one on Twitter. Of course, he said, "Why did Owen choose angry Robert Carlyle from that one good Cracker episode as his Twitter avatar?" Now you might not think this is applicable to all of us. But I'm kind of like, why do people choose the the Twitter profiles they do and the avatars? Because this is one of the things that I've come across professionally in like a workplace and stuff like, you know, LinkedIn profiles. And it's basically a big CV and you advertise yourself to employers or people who are working for recruitment agencies or whatever. And on a CV, you're encouraged not to put a, a photo on there. Because you open yourself up to potential discrimination on the way you look. Um, so why do we why do we put pictures on other publicly available profiles? Why do you guys choose your Twitter avatars or Facebook profile pictures or whatever you choose? Because it makes you. It makes you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very philosophical answer, I guess. It makes you. Yeah. The picture maker for man. A picture speaks a thousand words, and that's why I do it. Is that why you do it? Yeah. So what is your like Twitter profile at the moment? I don't know. I barely use Twitter anymore. 
I think it's just a, a lovely picture of the beach of my hometown. Ah, oh, very nice. And do you mean, have a Facebook profile picture as well? You can't even remember what that is. <laughs> yeah, I, I use Facebook for more just communicating with people. I've not posted anything since uh, the World Cup, which was just I miss Spen. And, <laughs> and other than that, I think I've barely made a Facebook post in years. So I think my profile picture is probably just me and some friends at a festival or something. And the cover photo I've never bothered with. Oh, really? Yeah. So what? why do you choose your photos then, Matt? I think if I'm going to use the Twitter one as an example, I'm still clinging on to my youth. I think mine's about, <laughs> mine's about 10 years old and when I was a bit thinner than I am now. So I'm trying to portray myself in a more positive light. Facebook one, it's just a picture of me and my missus. So it's, I, I treat Facebook very differently to Twitter. So Facebook is for the people I can't get away from and Twitter's for the people that I actually like talking to. So I tend to treat the two quite differently. But, uh, Twitter, I'm trying to put a better image of myself out of Facebook. I just don't give a shit. So don't put a lot of effort into that these days. Are you sort of conscious of the images you put on there then? Because it seems like it. From you know picking one that makes you look younger and stuff and trying to portray no, it's, yourself. It's, it's, it's not really conscious. It's just that I ha- put that on when I first joined Twitter and I've never taken it off. Yeah, just uh, simple as okay. that. Really. So I'm not concerned about putting the most up to date and necessarily relevant picture on there. It's just that, that was a good picture when it was on and I've just kept it. Nice. Yeah, I think my angry Robert Carlyle one was from when I was just messing about with my new phone. My camera yeah, I, th- I thought you looked more like Liam Neeson. Liam <laughs> Neeson, like, like you have a particular set of skills. See, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quibble with that. I think if it's that's the image it's portraying, then let it be. Right. You know. Yeah. So <laughs> I hope that answers your question, then, Brooker. Maybe I don't think so. I've done another deflection technique. I think. Uh, anyway, yeah. Sorry. So the next question is. Hi, my name is Mulak and I come from some place far away. Why don't you let that handsome Callum Petch on your podcast more? Suspiciously from at Callum Petch on Twitter. Mulak, I've got this. Is yeah. if you if you spell Callum differently backwards. but pronounce it the same, it's Callum backwards. Yeah. So we don't let Callum on the podcast more because uh... <laughs> Yeah, I've t- I pre-warned Callum. Callum, this is going to be like us ripping into you now. In a, a jokey kind of way, but we're going to absolutely slaughter you. So, Steve, <clears throat> Matt, we yes. don't let Callum onto our podcast more because... Well, I'm not in charge, so that's because why I don't like it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, because, let's say, because, um... because like a child from the 1920s, He's best seen and not heard. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Uh, one. That's nice. Yeah, I like that one. I was going to say something quite similar. What were you going to say? Phrase. Can you say it? What is that I'm looking for? Uh, A face fit for radio. Well, (laughs) Callum's just the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) A voice fit for silent cinema. A voice, a, yeah. voice fit for, a voice fit for print media. For print. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Why won't you let that handsome Callum Petch on your podcast more? I've never seen a picture of him, so I don't know if he is handsome. So yeah, maybe that's it. We're just not convinced of your attractiveness, Callum. Yeah. You haven't convinced don't... us that you're good looking enough to hang out with us on Fire you, you, you don't flirt with me enough, Callum. Exactly. Matt always does. Constantly. The dick pics from Matt are just relentless. Yeah. Non-stop. <laughs> just next to different household items to trying to give you an idea <laughs> of size. Uh, he's got the Sky Remote next to it in one and a deodorant can next to it in another. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got the Apple 6 phone next to it. Uh, yeah. Look how big um, his phone is compared to But uh, yeah, so... to failedgrinders.com. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Callum. You're just not attractive enough and your voice isn't soothing enough for our ears. How's that? And it's all in jest, of course. We're joking. Question five, moving on, from Dan Taylor, at Dan Thomas Taylor, who says, uh, they're on the lookout for a new Indiana Jones. What are your thoughts on the rumour that, wait for it, Danny Dyer is Ford's chosen successor? Well, he fucking love get his whip out. One of the fucking slag. Can't wait to fucking Indiana Jones. He's made that yes. up, hasn't he? He made that rumor up. Oh yeah, completely fabricated. But, There's no ding in that rumor. But, can't, be, can't be worse than Shy the Beef. Or Harrison Ford in the last one. Well, the whole, last be... one was the last one was a disaster. I mean, if if they were doing a prequel, he could play the younger version of the Ray Winston character. In the in the fourth film, if they want to bring it back into a prequel of Indiana Jones, I guess so. Yeah, we could be put on a Scottish accent and be Sean Connery's actual son. That, mm, I don't be, think he could do accents. <laughs> he could be he could do one accent. And, uh, the Knights of the Temple at the end of Last Crusade. You fucking slag! Don't take my fucking cap. What what <laughs> role? From cinema. Sorry, that is just a terrible accent. That's, your impression just kills me every time because it's so bad. I'm really sorry. What what role from cinema history do you think he would be best inserted into? Oh, that is a good question. Uh, Don John. Don John. It's got to be like, something like something. complete, completely unexpected, hasn't it? Something that. Maybe you were talking about rebooting Harry Potter, Steve. No, I'd, Maybe the... I'd, I'd replace him, Hugh Grant with him in Notting Hill. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> yeah. He can be the new fucking Tony Montana. <laughs> well, yeah. He could maybe. be, he could be um, uh, Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining. That'd be quite in a good the question. shining, yeah, maybe, or perhaps. more like Cape Fear. It could be like De Niro's character, and that'd be pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, but definitely not Indiana Jones. I think that's one role that's just a bit too far out of his reach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It'd be more so... Indiana Smith. <laughs> I, I wish he'd been in Game of Thrones that he's auditioned four or five times apparently he's got to be in it eventually come on, I've got to give him been, a role soon that would have been brilliant wouldn't it, just to see him in Game of Thrones popping up the problem is, he doesn't really fit in does he, because he's not northern he hasn't got a northern accent and he's not posh enough to be sort of the Lannisters so how would they fit him in really 
Oh, Lakers fit him in. Yeah. Whatever accent he puts on can't be worse than, um, you know, your guy from uh, The Wire, Carchetti, who's in it. Mm. What's he? The guy who does the brothel and stuff. Yeah. His accent's all over the I, place. I don't know what accent this. I know he's from a fictional fictional world, but I still don't know what accent it's meant. It's not one thing nor the other. Oh, it's everywhere. Um, okay, so the next question is uh, from Emma Louise at Crushinator2, who says, settle a classic question. Who would win in a fight, cavemen or astronauts? What? What? Where's the, where's the fight being held? In space or in a cave? Uh, she's not given any specifics. I asked if the astronauts could sort of kamikaze pilot a spacecraft into the cavemen. That's ruled out. That's not, really a, no that's, not, that. that's not really a fight, is it? That's a, uh, I mean, it depends because, like, the spacemen will have a helmet on and they're pretty, <laughs> they're pretty tough. So even if the caveman's got his club, that's probably not going to do much damage on the first few hits to a space helmet. But then the they're probably quite hard, the cavemen, because of the environment they live in. So a spaceman ain't going to be able to do much damage punching them. So I think it's going to be a draw. Yeah, but the cavemen have kind of, you know, got a bit more build to them than astronauts. I know astronauts are pretty fit and healthy, but cavemen hunt fucking mammoths for sustenance. So they're going to be pretty built. I could win if it's a one-on-one fight. I'm, I'm calling it a draw. A draw? A score draw. If it's a big Royal Rumble, one of them's got to win. Who, uh, who comes out on top? I'm going to say the Spaceman. The Spaceman, using his cunning and brains. Because the Caveman's going to be too like, oh, what's going on here? What's all this about? What's he wearing? Why has he got a helmet on? Who is this weird godlike man from the skies? Because that's what they were like. And... Fact, true fact. And a spaceman would just be like, well, that's a caveman. I can deal with this. I know what that is. And chuck him at the ring. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I suppose so. Have you not... got any thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I'm just going to take it from a much more literal point of view. And if, if I'm a spaceman, or even with my technological advantage, if I bump into one million years BC's Raquel Welch, I'm just going to submit. So the cave woman <laughs> wins. That's a, yeah. Oh, we didn't really take into okay women in this. The question you know. didn't mention women. Said cave, cave persons and astro persons. Yeah. Astro if it's George Clooney and Sandra Bullock against Raquel Welsh, there you go. Yeah, that's a good one. Take, Matt, uh, Matt's just thinking of Matt, Matt's just thinking of Raquel Welsh against Sandra Bullock. <laughs> we've lost. We've lost him. He's gone, yeah. He's... yeah. <laughs> right, okay. So the final question, I think we settled that fairly... Um... Well, we didn't really commit to anything. A non-committal answer. Uh, final question um, also comes from Dan. Uh, just a short answer for this one. Um, worst film of the year so far? Matt? That's easily uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. It's the most horrendous thing I've seen at the cinema in a very, very long time. And I won't go into massive amounts of detail because I've, I gave it a good thrashing um, when we did a couple of reviews on it, two episodes in a row I've, I seem to remember. But yeah, it's god-awful. 
and I didn't flinch in my underpants once whilst watching it. So <laughs> it was it was shit. Yeah. Steve, worst film of the year so far? Uh, I think the film that I've enjoyed the least so far was probably the Woman in Black sequel. Oh, I never saw that. Was it really that bad? Well, it wasn't very good. Yeah. Okay. I think my least favourite film of the year so far, uh, or the, perhaps the one I was most disappointed with, was uh, The Man with the Iron Fists 2, which I wasn't expecting an awful lot from, but I kind of liked the first one. You know, it gets a big, it gets a bit of a bad rap. The RZA film with Russell Crowe and Lucy Liu and Dave Bautista, I thought it was okay. But The Man with the Iron Fist Two gets a pummeling from everyone, and me included. It's just shockingly bad. It's terrible. But um, that's it then. All the yep. questions done with. That's the new section over. I hope we've um, answered them satisfactorily for everyone. Yeah, and we might turn it into like a once a month thing or once every other episode when we've got nothing else to talk about. So yeah. just send in your questions. We'll we'll deal with them uh, every so often. Okay, uh, that's all for this part. Uh, we'll be back after a short break. Final part of this podcast now, then we take uh, a look at uh, Spook's uh, cinematic offering, as well as a triple bill looking at our three favourite scenes or scenes that represent Britishness the most in film. Uh, but Owen has seen the Spook's movie. Spook's the movie. Spook's... <laughs> Spook's the greater good is its yes. full name. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so the triple bill on Britishness mainly comes from the fact that this is a, a full British production. Because um, it's it's based on the BBC TV series that ran for sort of 10 series between 2002 and 2011. So there's, it's about MI5. Um, it's about as close to a Hollywood-style espionage thriller that British cinema has gotten, really, in the past few years. You know, I wouldn't count the Sweeney as a sort of Hollywood-style British thriller, but you know, this is this is quite quite big. It's very popular because the TV series was very popular. But I've not seen the TV show. I've well, I've seen about two episodes of the TV show. But you've seen a few, haven't you, Steve? I think you just said before that you've seen a few, Matt. So, I mean, what do you guys think of the TV show? Did you enjoy what you saw in it? Was it? It it it's good, but not great. Entertaining television kind of switch your brain off follow a loose plot um prime time watching but it's not great by any means i think matt said when we were chatting about earlier that the cast has changed quite a bit which is true the other than the the guy who plays harry pierce who's in this film mm, the, yes. the the main characters are lucky to see out two c two series we'll call it series it's british tv but they're mm. lucky they're lucky to see out two full series and then they're offed in some way, and a new one takes over, or new, yeah. Um, yeah. There weren't many constant characters throughout the duration of the TV show. Well, I think it was quite famous for killing off people, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it sort of kept you on edge because you, apparently, you know, who you thought were main characters could actually be killed yeah. in the 
you know, line of duty. But I mean, at any point. It, it had some fairly big names. I mean, Richard Armitage, who was in the, mm. the Hobbit trilogy, was was one of the main the main characters in there for a good couple of series. So you know, it's had some yeah. had some big names in there certainly throughout the years. Yeah, and the films kind of carried on that tradition, I guess, because Harry Pierce, uh, the character Harry Pierce, who's a um, former head of MI5, he lets an um, terrorist escape, an American terrorist escape at the very beginning of this film and sort of loses his job. And the film is about him tracking down this guy. But they get in to track down Harry Pierce, played by Peter Firth. They get Kit Harrington in, who's probably most well-known to people as um, Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Um, he, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because... I don't really think Kit Harrington is a great actor. I don't think he's got much range to him. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I don't think there's many great actors in Game of Thrones. I've, I've been watching Game of Thrones from the start recently because I missed the, the missed the boat on it and have caught up. Now I'm up to date with it. Recent, you know, up to date with it now. Mm. I don't get the fuss. It's good. It's certainly entertaining and watchable, kind of like Spooks in some ways. It's not as great as what everyone makes out. It's like the best TV show ever. It's not. It's, Some it, of it is fantastic, though. Some it, of Game of Thrones is just brilliant. But it, it's it, yeah, some of it might be brilliant, but it's certainly not gonna. It, it really shouldn't be any in anyone's top five TV shows of all time, unless they've just watched five TV shows ever, and Game of Thrones <laughs> is one of them. Uh, I think that's incredibly harsh. It's a very well-made TV show, considering the the problems they have. Um, being that they've got so many characters and they have to give them all enough screen time to, you know, actually have some relevance to the proceedings. But, um, but you know, Game of Thrones, I thought, is, is quite... I, I quite like it. I think it's quite good. Um, but Kit Harrington in it as Jon Snow is all right, isn't he? It's not bad. It's not fantastic, though. And he was in Pompeii, where, um, which was the Paul W.S. Anderson film from last year, which was Pompey. also okay. Pompey playing the idiot with the fucking bell. Um, no, he was um, Pompey, not Pompey. Or Pomp uh, Two. Pomp Two, we called it. I remember. Pomp Two. Yeah, Pomp yeah. two. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was just like an action film, really, a disaster action film. Uh, and he was good in that uh, as like a lead action star. He's not got a massive amount of natural charisma. I'll put that out there as well. But he's kind of enjoyable in that sort of role. And again, here, there's nothing wrong with him, really. He, did, he plays this guy uh, quite well. But it's not like a tremendous, sort of full of gravitas, scene-stealing performance from him. He just does the action bits quite well. Uh, some of the interactions he has with people, he pulls off pretty... Pretty okay. He's got a good uh, sort of rapport going. A good, you know, the relationship between Carrington and Peter First characters is, is interesting. That's the most interesting aspect of, of the film. What lets the film down slightly is the performances. Of, well, not slightly, massively actually. Are the performances of absolutely everybody else in the film. So you've got Jennifer L, who's like she's an American actress, but I think she's quite well known for playing a character in Pride and Prejudice. Uh, or some kind of British period drama. But her accent in this is incredibly shit. It's so bad. So, so bad. It's an appalling British accent. It's like, have you ever seen um, Reese Witherspoon's English accent? 
in the uh, what's the Oscar Wilde play that she was she was in a film of with Colin Firth. Oh God, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, it'll come to me later, I'm sure. But uh, the importance of being earnest. She was in that, and she puts in a, a really like appalling British accent. So too does Jennifer L in this. It's it's like someone trying to do a really posh accent and just has no grasp of what makes a, an accent sound posh. It's just so bad. But her performance as well is oh, she has some of the worst dialogue. She just like delivers a line to camera that's in the trailer. If you've seen the trailer, where she's on the phone and she goes, "Do you think he's double crossed us? Do you think Harry Pierce is working with the terrorist?" And it's just like, no, just don't even attempt it. Don't try it. It's, or it's worse than Matt's attempt at a Danny Dyer impression. Uh, hey. <laughs> sorry, Matt. Um, hey, but... shit, Matt. <laughs> Funny, you know, you got to keep doing it because it makes me laugh every time. It's, be- it's better than Mark Commode's uh, Danny Dyer impression. Yeah. It's better than Matt Latham's Geordie accent on the quiz- quizcast as well. We've had was. positive tweets about my Danny Dyer <laughs> Tributes, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, it's fun, I guess. Uh, but you know, yeah. Anyway, so um, the other person who I kind of expected to be good in this, Tim McKinnery. I always say that Tim McKinnery, who uh, chews his way through absolutely every scene, is just so over the top and pantomime. It's hilarious. Um, but you probably people probably quite know Tim. Uh, McKinney from his role as Percy in Blackadder. So you can imagine Percy from Blackadder playing a super serious head of MI5. It's it's no different to that, really. It's just appalling. So the, the support cast kind of let the film down. Um, but the action in it's quite good. There's a little bit of humour, which is alright. Kit Harrington's quite good. I, I would probably suggest that if you're a fan of the TV show... You'll probably enjoy this as well because it's a lot more gritty and kind of violent, a lot more violent than I was expecting it to be. Um, and from what I understand, the TV show also was quite well known for its it not shying away from some of its more graphic moments. Well, in the first series, a character was offed by having a head stuck in a deep fat fryer. Exactly. So, uh, that, so that, it, was, that was like the first or second episode as well. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, that set the tone for the TV series and I think that the tone for this is much of the same, really. You can see people getting yeah. shot in the head and stuff like that, which, you know, it's a 15, um, rather than, you know, you might have expected it to come out maybe a 12 or um, 12A, maybe. But it's gone for a full 15. You do see a lot of the, the more... There's, there's not so many cutaway scenes, put it that way. So it's it's quite good. I'm sure people who like the, the TV series will like this as well. Yeah. And even as a standalone British thriller that's very British, uh, it's good. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Good. Um, so, yes, that brings us on to the triple build. And when we look at um, our favourite or, or, or scenes that represent Britishness the most, um, I'll kick us off. I think, really, the fir- first of all... Um, is any scene, this is a bit of a blanket one, any scene <laughs> in which uh, Hugh Grant is <laughs> flirting with a woman, for uh, uh, meeting a woman for the first time. Yeah. Uh, yes, with the old typical 
awkwardness and faffing and um, being incredibly shy and incre- incredibly polite and um, it's, it's, it's certainly how people see Brits yeah, abroad, but, isn't it? Yeah. But but British people can't flirt. <laughs> they're, they're either really awkward. Awesome. No, you can't. You, no, you can't. We've already you gone said I flirted you, earlier. Yeah, not, not very well. <laughs> but Fine, gonna... yeah, so they're either all, all really awkward, uh, all mm. really shy, or all at the other end of the spectrum, really arrogant. Like, over the top and just really irritating. If you ever tried to watch an English man flirt, whatever situation it's in, it, it, it's just horrible to watch. Yeah. Can you? Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously, you're in a relationship now, but pre that relationship, were you able to flirt? Were you a confident flirter? Pre relationship, I would have been fifty. Fourteen, fifteen. So no, right. of <laughs> fair, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so yeah. Secondly, I'm going for the scene in Shaun of the Dead where they're discussing the plan of of what they're going to do. Um, we have crossover know. for yeah. the exact same scene. Yeah. So they're discussing. Um, Sean and Ed are discussing the plan of what they're going to do to combat the zombie apocalypse and it's basically one situation that ends with a cup of tea and waiting for it to blow over another situation that involves a cup of tea and waiting for it to all blow over and then the third one is going having a nice cold pint and waiting for it to all blow over in a pub yes Yes. (laughs) which is which is the which is incredibly british it's just a cup of tea or a pint and waiting for somebody else to deal with the situation for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I've got written down as well. Just the fact they want to go for somewhere where they can have a drink, have a smoke, let someone more qualified sort it out. We'll wait. Yeah, somebody else will deal with this problem for us. We'll just sit here and wait. And I think just before the scene as well, they've got uh, the newsreader telling them what to do. But, But the man said, Let's do what the man. <laughs> let's do what the man said. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, I'm going for the in-betweeners movie. And just as I said, that English men can't flirt like men from other countries can. English people do that kind of holiday differently than any other nationality I know of, or British people. I've been on. I've been to America on holiday. And they think three, four beers is getting drunk. You see, like you see, like these these things about American frat houses at college. You're like, I've had four beers, man. I'm so wasted. It's not you've had four beers. You shouldn't even be drunk. That was a good accent. Good. That was impressive. Yeah, yeah. And there's Hugh Laurie in that house levels of American accent. That was. Yeah. Or or you see, or you see, like when you go on a lads' holiday to like Spain or something, you see like the the, the German people of the same age. And they're just having a few drinks, and they're getting drunk, but they're not acting like complete fucking idiots. So it's basically the in-betweeners movie in the scene in next morning, where <laughs> Jay Jay wakes up um, with his head in an ant's nest. Yeah, and it's just that is that is that kind of is the kind of thing that would happen. They wouldn't even make it back to their hotel. Um, they'd have just got mm. so wasted they'd just collapse wherever they can find and end up bitten or sunburnt to death in a right state just through getting wasted the night before 
which no other nationality would do in the same extent. So not as disgracefully. So, so yes. Yeah. So while while when, when people are saying things like that, what we think of as Britishness, they're all thinking of Hugh Grant. I was thinking of the opposite in in, <laughs> one, in one case, and just thinking of drunken louts abroad annoying everyone. Yes, it's good. Good choice that one. Yeah. Um, want to give an honourable mention because this is what. Um, Hollywood sees British people as is the RAF pilots in Independence Day <laughs> which is oh it's all in all Morse code bloody Yanks found the way to beat the aliens and this, this is the podcast no accents like that. this is yeah. I'm never doing an accent again but, but, but yeah I don't think any British person has ever spoken like that except in World War II films that were made just after World War II. And that's how Americans seem to think that British military people talk. Well, it all comes from, like, Richard Burton and, um, you know, uh, Terry Thomas and people like that, doesn't it? Yeah. The old school English. But it was just, like, the most out-of-place thing in that film where they were going around the world and going, oh, the Americans have found out how to beat the aliens, so they're going to tell everyone now all around the world so you get like the the japanese u-boat captain and you get the brit the raf pilots that are just ridiculously overly british for no reason whatsoever in the <laughs> desert as well for some reason not even like not even like trying to beat the aliens in london there it's just like in the desert i don't know yeah <laughs> um anyway oh and as we've already had one that crossed over do you want to start to your remaining two yeah, um, I'll just throw a couple in there to start with. Uh, I haven't picked as mine, but I asked other people who I knew what kind of films they thought summed up Britishness. First one was actually, first one someone told me was Notting Hill. And they said Hugh Grant. So, you know, it's co- probably quite a popular depiction of Brits on film. The other was, uh, someone said Italian Job, someone else said The Great Escape. And I think they do both epitomise that old school perception of of brits in films um but the two the other two i've gone for sean of the dead was my last like humorous choice the first two well the first one is brief encounter from 1945 because again just going back to this kind of old school view of brits so it's a, a david lean film and a story by noel coward um and it's about uh two people celia johnson and trevor howard's characters who there's a scene where they meet in a train station and they're both, well, Celia Johnson's married. She's in another relationship, but they sort of have a, a, a fling and affair. Uh, but it's that whole kind of stiff upper lip, not showing like emotions in public and the repressed Britishness on screen. That's, that's you know, it, it epitomises what, what Britishness was about back then. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful scene in, in itself, sort of heartbreaking in, in some ways. Um uh, uh, you know, how they deal with this sudden surge of feeling and emotion and, and the guilt that they feel as well and how they, they handle that. But, um, yeah, I think the, the, the whole film briefing came to is how I think of Brits back in the 40s and 50s, you know, sort of close to post-war Britain. So that was the first one I went for. And then I thought about how, how Brits on film have developed since then. Um, so I moved ahead to a film called Distant Voices Still Lives, which have either of you um, heard of before? Nope. No. Okay. But if I said the if I said the phrase kitchen sink drama, 
you would know exactly what I mean, right? More or less. More or less? Okay, so Terence Davis is a scouse guy. And he made films about sort of 30, 40 years ago. It was still kind of does make films, really. Um, but he kind of almost invented the kitchen sink drama. And, the, you know, the, the name kitchen sink drama is just very British itself, isn't it? But it, it, he, put, he made films about real people, real working class people. Um, and it's his film, Distant... Well, there, there were two short films that put together, Distant Voices and Still Lives, which follow this family in in Liverpool. And it's, you know, it's got Pete Postlethwaite in it, who's this overbearing, really, like, grim up north type dad. And the whole film is a very grim up north feel to it and people living on a, like, council estate. And I think that was the way that Brits progressed from the original 40s and 50s depiction. Was into this, you know, working class, low income type families, you know, living in houses until they were all sort of 30, in their 30s because they, they could nowhere, nowhere to go. They'd spend all the times in the pub and drinking and singing and stuff. That's kind of how Brits changed. And then my final choice was Shaun of the Dead because I think that's the way the modern Brit is seen as a bit of a layabout, leave it to somebody else, kind of joking and, you know, got quite a bit of humour about situations and stuff. So, yeah, that was kind of my natural progression of Brits on film, I thought. Excellent. And Matt, what's in your three? Okay, well, I've tried to be quite clever with the way I'm doing mine. You ever okay. seen those, uh, those oh, memes good Lord. on... There we go. <laughs> give, give it a chance before you start sticking your end in. We're really bullying Matt today. I'm sorry, yeah. Matt. I'm not. It's okay. My British shoulders are broad. I can take it. It's fine. <laughs> so, you ever seen those memes online whereby people post a picture of what such and such thinks I look like, what my parents think I do, what society oh. thinks I do, what I actually do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with a film that encapsulates what I think people outside of Britain think of Britain, or at least to a certain sense. And I'm going to go with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, <laughs> to begin with. So we've... I'm sure we've all seen the film. It's set in a lush forest environment, the type that would make something like Planet Endor look like Playbus. Sophisticated treetop fortresses that would make any child envious of the craftsmanship of medieval peasantry during 12th century England. And then they go and paint our hero Robin Hood as this luscious, blonde-haired Kevin Costner type who can do trick shots with a bow and arrow that would make John Virgo wince with envy. <laughs> a man who robs from the rich and gives to the poor, akin to our modern-day Robin Hood, David Cameron, of course. Uh, is <laughs> uh, Robin, anyway. Yes, Robin, exactly. So they also then go and cast a, a classically trained actor with the calibre of someone like Alan Rickman as the snivelling sheriff of Nottingham, whose character is introduced as a clansman just to keep it relevant for the Bible belters in the audience. <laughs> and then you've got Robin himself who rocks about with a curly-haired Italian hussy like Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who we're probably most familiar with being Tony Montana's coke-snorting little sister. And just to put the cherry on the cake, they cast a Scotsman as one of our greatest ever kings. So all in all, they get the balance of what medieval Britain's all about pretty darn wrong. But in the grand scheme of things, I actually quite like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as a bit of a guilty pleasure. But uh, yeah, they don't half paint us in a bit of a strange light with that one. 
You know, med- medieval England didn't even come into to my mind when I was thinking about this. But you're right. That's I think I overlooked that. So that's that's a, as valid a, a depiction of Brits on film as as any other. I think yes. even if it is Kevin Costner as Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an odd one, but um, because they have such relatively small history, I think they struggle to go any further back mm. than like the late 1700s, and then they just think it's it's craziness. But anyway, moving on. Um, so the next one is how Britons think of themselves, at least in an <laughs> ideal light. And I'm going to roll with the full Monty for this one. <laughs> so yeah. us Britons, we like to think of ourselves as folks with a can-do attitude. No matter what troubles are in your life, we can just take them in our stride. And as the overly used meme would say, keep calm and carry on. And oh, wow, I hate that caption in general. But for all its cliche, it's actually quite a positive stereotype for the country to have accumulated over the years. And this is why people tend to adore the full Monty in itself. It it encapsulates that entirely. Uh, It's cheeky, it's upbeat, positively reinforces that when the chips are down, the lads of the bulldog breed will stand up and do what's right for those that are in need. Or more eloquently put, when times are hard, get your knob out and everything will be just fine. (laughs) Yeah, a life lesson to be learned. Yes, quite. And then just to, to wrap it all up, how Britain actually is. And with this one, I'm going to roll with train spotting. <laughs> so if we're all honest with ourselves, most of the country is pretty bleak, generally speaking, outside of London and a few major cities. Well... Pet- hey, let me finish, and then you can have your say. <laughs> you know, Petty crime's a problem, unemployment is rife, and drug culture is spiralling in certain parts of the country. And most of the young people tend to live paycheck to paycheck, trying to rustle up enough money for their next fix or a new PlayStation game or just a stake to go down to the local bookies and have a bet on a horse. That said, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, For its cynicism and the portrayal of modern living that it paints train spotting in parts as a rather compelling camaraderie and humour amongst its own group of drug-munching roustabouts. But ultimately, it teaches you no matter who you grow up with, no matter what experiences you share on the estate with these people, you're ultimately better off fucking them over to get ahead in life, the true message of our new majority conservative government. And <laughs> beg me for your new prime minister next time round. There we go. Uh, that's that's all for our triple build, almost all for the podcast for this week. Um, just got a few recommendations to make for stuff to watch for the week ahead. Um, I'm going to take a bit of a different tact on this. I'm going to go for a, a reality TV show. But, what? But really, everyone should be watching The Island with Bear Grylls because... Not because it's a good look at, the, at not because it's doing what the docu- the, the the show is meant to be doing, just because it's it's funny and full of idiots, especially the women's <laughs> island. Now I'm not saying men are better than women, and I'm not saying that women can't survive on a desert island if put there on their own, but this particular group of women can't. They're so bad they nearly all got hauled off by the medical team because they were doing that badly and nearly killing themselves. Um, it's just, a, it's just, a, it's just fun to watch people being morons when you just think, right, fair enough. It's a tricky situation, but why the fuck have you not gone and looked for some water yet? Why the fuck have you not 
built any kind of shelter yet when you know there's going to be a typhoon coming along. It's interesting because I, I don't feel like a snob when I say this, but I don't like most reality TV shows, so I just avoided it. Um, you know, I've got a problem with people liking it, and I'm sure it's as good as for all the reasons you just described. It's, it's, but I can't, I can't bring myself it's to. to. It's not, it's, it's not what it's meant to be, which is a study on how people will survive when put in this very tricky situation. You know, modern people use sort of modern mod cons and uh, hmm. modern life will survive with basically two day survival training on a desert island. But it, it's not that it's not a study into that it's just really fun to watch people being stupid and having a complete lack of common sense and and this group of women are particularly hopeless well i, I did watch um because i know you started watching it and we never actually talked about it that um how i survived a zombie apocalypse or whatever oh, that, it was called that, on bbc3 that, that was rubbish because the thing was you you just knew there was no danger because all the zombies were extras so you knew no one was actually going to get killed or eaten, and they couldn't protect themselves against zombies properly because you can't twat an extra over the head. <laughs> so but, I, I watched two of them and just got bored of it. I just thought, this is pointless. There's no jeopardy. There's no danger. Um, it, it was one of those things that I thought would be fun to do. And I'm you know, I, well, they, they, it would probably be quite entertaining they if organize you were there. Things like that. They organise things like that, don't they? It's a, it's yeah. a kind of event event thing, don't they? they? They do like a zombie thing across part of a town or a city and you sign up to do it and it's kind of like a night out kind of event yeah. thing. I, I um, smell a, a failed critics meet-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Owen, what are you telling everyone to watch? So completely going against the Britishness theme of, of the last section, uh, on film four, on, well, it's not completely going against it, thinking about it. Film four, Saturday evening, 20 past 11, is The Raid, which is uh, obviously starring Iko Uwais, uh, the Indonesian, uh, would you call him a martial artist? I guess he is. I guess he is a martial artist, um, which is just an absolutely brutal film. But it's directed by Gareth Evans, and I wasn't thinking about it, but he's Welsh. So, sort of British, I can recommend that to fit into the theme of the, the podcast. But there you go. The Raid on Film 4, Saturday evening, 20 past 11. If you've never seen it, you're missing out. It's one of the best action films of the past sort of five years. Okay, and Matt? Yeah, I'm keeping it relevant to the, the triple bill I just did. The Full Monty is on this Friday night on Sky Movies Superheroes at 6.30 in the evening. Superheroes. What? what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> don't, don't don't ask me why. I saw that as like whatever, but Logic. Sky Movie Superheroes, bitch. Well, there we go. Full Monty yeah. Sky Movie Superheroes. Excellent. Well, that's all for this week's Fail Critics podcast. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, go over to the website www.failcritics.com to read all the articles going up there in the week ahead and all of the articles already on there um obviously check out acast where the podcast will be hosted from now on and we'll be back um around the same time next week with a review of mad max fury road the 
Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.